We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 423 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and yeah, I'm alone this week because I decided not only was I going to do one show this week because of the holidays, and there was the Christmas season, which I celebrated with my family. I really hope everyone had a really good holiday, Hanukkah, Christmas, whatever you're celebrating. And the new year is coming up on this weekend, so I decided to give my usual co-host the full week off, let everybody rest, recuperate, and get ready, because not only is the new year coming, so everyone's making these new year, new me kind of things, but I'm hoping that it's new year, same old Barcelona podcast. We're going to have some new faces this year that I'm already trying to get into contact with. Of course, we had to start the new year well with Barcelona beginning play against Espanyol. Maybe by the time you have this in your ears. And who knows, over the summertime, maybe a little bit of money comes into the club. And I mean, who knows? It's not going to be able to compete with the Chelsea and the Man City, who, for those like me who are trying to track the next stars of the future, as I try to do, it is kind of frustrating to see them all get kind of snatched up by those. But as I just released, and you're going to hear from it in this very episode, the La Masia stuff, there's plenty of talent in Barca's academy. So I kind of keep having to go back to that video and say, hey, it's not that bad. So I know the rest of the academies in world football, especially in South America, are getting picked to pieces by Real Madrid and Chelsea. And well, Real Madrid is the one example that doesn't have all that money in the Premier League, but you get the point here. So I want to thank everyone, though, before I get into these two different videos. That is, one, the Lone Watch stuff, as in all those players out on loan for the club right now. And then, two, it's the La Masia Rising Stars that I usually do every five to six months. And because the likes of Laminia Mall and the rest are really pushing my hand to get it younger and younger, I felt like I could have some new names here to inject into the conversation. And that's why this video is so long, too. It's players that I'm hoping you don't know that much about, but you'll get to know by the time you finish listening. So before we do get to those two pieces of audio, I did want to, of course, at the end of this year, say thank you so, so much to everybody who was a part of this. Remember, this show started back in May of 2017, and as the faces have kind of changed in the years, and we've had different cast of characters, and I've had one-time guests and players, whoever it may be, you've been here, or many of you have been with me almost since the beginning. Some have been joining and jumping on, and whether it's all these different places that we are, I know I'm always plugging everything, but whether it's Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or now the Discord, or Patreon, or SoundCloud even, where I still post the pod. So my 15 or 20 people who listen on SoundCloud, I'm likely going to be stopping that quite shortly. But 
I'm going to be replacing with that time I was doing SoundCloud by actually beginning a TikTok. So there's your new announcement for the new year. The TikTok is coming in the next week. So you're going to be able to see little segments. Obviously, if you watch the YouTube videos, you listen to the podcast, that's going to be information that you already know. But for me, TikTok is another form, and it seems like something I can't really avoid anymore. As much as me in my 30s and trying to push against the new technology and the new apps, TikTok has been here, and it's going to be here to stay. So I'm going to have some content over there. It's not really exclusive to TikTok. Who knows? Maybe we'll see how the year goes, but maybe that's a 2024 dream. But in the meantime, of all the different places that you can find the Barcelona podcast in this community, especially on barcelonablog.com as well, where I still will be occasionally writing in 2024, we'll see how busy I am as far as the YouTube channel and the podcast. We'll see how much I actually do get to write. But yeah, varsity.com is another landing spot for everything that you might have missed. So just in case you're thinking, oh, what's the latest podcast or what's the latest YouTube video, and you usually only check out one or the other, well, that's the place to find whatever the latest content is that I've put out, as well as Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all those different places as well. So again, thank you so much for being with me in 2022. I'm excited for 2023, not only for the club, because obviously you're here now, and if you're with me in the darkest of days, in the last two seasons, then I know that you're going to be joined by a bunch of new faces, I'm hoping, as the club returns to some kind of prominence and some kind of glory in the 2023-2024 season. I know they're already at a Champions League and all that stuff, but hey, trophies could be on the way. Had a little bit of a trophy drought, and I'm hoping the 2023 can change all that. So without further ado, while these players can't help in the 2022-23 season, here's all those players out on loan. As we near the return of club football this week, and with the new year approaching, I thought it'd be a pretty good exercise to check in on all of the players out on loan for FC Barcelona. It's not usually something I do away from the podcast because quite frankly, most of the loans away from FC Barcelona don't really work out. And due to the financial troubles of late, many of the loans that are ongoing are because of Barcelona not being able to pay wages and needing to get those wages off of the books so they can afford to even bring in new players and make sure that they're under that FFP cap. That is going to be a major theme throughout these loans, especially on the back end. But there are some players to highlight, certainly, that could, in theory, in the future, make an impact at FC Barcelona. I also found that this list was a reminder that going out on loan is not only not a certainty, but a lot of things can happen on their end, as in a new manager, a new president, a new change of regime, a new playing style, hot and cold spells that do change the fortunes of a player whose club now has them on loan doesn't really need to see their future be too beneficial because they're not going to be reaping the rewards. That's why doing this loan watch at the end of December, beginning of January, while in terms of the footballing calendar kind of makes sense, loans usually don't bear fruit until the end of that loan. It does take the full year before a player can actually find his way into his new team. Sometimes it happens at the beginning for young players, but yeah, it takes a little bit of time. And that's why as much as I'm going to be talking about these loans, don't really give them the final grades until we're done at the end of the year. And as we jump right in, you'll understand why I added that last caveat there. Mokotuzu has been the man in charge of Valencia since Nico Gonzalez began his loan there over the summer. His full season loan should be judged in six months more than right now, 14 games into the Liga campaign. Because let's start with the bad news. Nico Gonzalez has not become the starter that Kules might have thought he'd become, especially taking into account how depleted it looked like Valencia's squad was when he arrived. While he has made 12 appearances out of the possible 13, with the 14th match being against his parent club so he didn't feature, he's only started 36% of them and only played 41% of total minutes. He wasn't expected to add much end product, so maybe that one goal and 5% total goal participation is a consolation prize. That said, I'm not going to be all gloom and doom about Nico just yet, but it should make Kules, myself included, 
reconsider where and how his future at FC Barcelona may lie. He'll be 21 in a few days, so I'm not that worried that he still looks at times to be adjusting to top flight football. But instead of putting his ceiling with the Pedris and Gabis, two players he pretty much came into the first team with, it's probably safer to start viewing him as a depth player, but still a potential top 14 player on a good team, much like what Barca wanted from Frank Kessier this season. And this brings me to the second major point about Nico and what's still unknown about him. Valencia has a really intriguing midfield crop, with all five of the regulars in a 4-3-3 formation being 22 or younger. Consistency is always a question with young players, and all five are fighting for regular game time. And only three of the five are actually owned by Valencia. So it does make sense that Catuso would hope that Yunus Musa, who may be sold soon anyway, Hugo Guillamon, and Andre Almeida get every chance to take those starting spots over Nico and Iras Moriba who is on loan from RB Leipzig, but we're not opening up that can of worms today. And with that fivesome, Nico is basically one of the backup interiors and the backup pivot behind Guillemon. When Guillemon doesn't play or get the start, those are the times when we've seen Nico play there behind Musa and Almeida. When Nico plays alongside Guillemon, it's as an interior as I mentioned. And to be honest, much like the latter half of last season with Barca, I find that Nico neither excels or detracts as an interior. He works hard, moves the ball well, doesn't really break through the lines of passes or with runs, but his pressing instincts look to really fit into Gattuso's plan. In short, I'm not sure what we can take away just yet from Nico's loan outside of unfortunately saying that preseason, while I was really impressed with him at the pivot, should now be taken with a huge grain of salt. And maybe we do need to come to terms with the notion that at Barca, he probably isn't going to take the pivot spot for himself, but he can still be a really fine depth piece moving forward who can handle time across the midfield and likely be on wages that are cheaper than somebody else who would have to be brought in by FC Barcelona. Alright, so obviously the biggest part of this review is about Nico, because I and many of you should probably think that he might have the biggest and brightest future at the club if anybody is able to return and make an impact. The other man who may return, but I'm not really so sure about that, is Ize Ade at Osasuna. He turned 21 just a few days ago, and it's a reminder that he wasn't really playing at a highly competitive level until last season. So I still think it's too early to say exactly what his ceiling is. Much like Nico, he's a part of the rotation in his lone club, but he's settled into a role as a player off the bench. He starts 36% of the time, as in three times of the eight games he's played in, and he's played 32% of the total minutes. In his defense though, he was injured for the remaining three games of the first half, and then he went on to make three appearances for Morocco at the World Cup. And not only was the World Cup likely a great experience for him, but I did like the way that he was able to fit so well into Morocco's game plan. As we have discussed on podcasts before, it's a system, that be Morocco's, that requires everybody to do their jobs, especially positionally to the letter. And I think he both defended well and served as the release valve on the wing rather well in his brief appearances, including being a spark plug in the knockouts that each time almost led to something. For Osasuna though, there's still some ways to go, but I do like that he's fighting in a winning project and seems to have a role with the team fighting for a European spot. Osasuna is currently 7th, but just one point behind teams 4 through 6, meaning a Champions League spot. If Abde is sold this summer, I don't think Barca should sell for less than 15 million. His speed and dribbling prowess is elite, and even though the finishing isn't really there, that dribbling is a skill that should be valued at 15 million or more. If I had to rub my crystal ball, I'd say he gets sold in the summer with a very reasonable buyback. I know Barca could use a left winger, and that's why I find it almost as likely for the club to give him one more chance next season as they do trying to find a new home for him and try to get as much money as you can for a player that is very much still developing. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'd say that now we've talked about Nico and Abde, the other five were a bit easier and a bit quicker to go over. Well, maybe, maybe not. We'll let Sugino Dest decide. For those who follow the podcast, you can hear my more nuanced arguments about Dest's value. The right back market being shallow and his age, but I think even I can admit that his time at Barca is probably done. With his AC Milan loan and 20 million euro buy option, I said that there'd be two possible outcomes, and those are still very much in play. I said that he'd either play well and be bought for $20 million because the young fullback market is an overpriced wasteland, or he'd do poorly and would be too expensive for Barca to bring him back into the fold as a player likely worse and lower on confidence than when he left. But what might actually happen could be a bit of a mix of both. He's kind of stunk up the joint for AC Milan, played nine matches between Serie A and the Champions League while not nailing down the starting right-back job. Contrary to those that are conflating it, he showed up on the right wing once or twice but has played most of his minutes at right-back. He was poor in September in his first Serie A match against Napoli, and he struggled a bit in the Champions League, but the rest has been fine. More interestingly, I and maybe others thought he was just above more than fine at the World Cup, at least looking like a 20 million euro player while playing for the US. Apparently Milan thought so too, and could use the World Cup showing to sign him permanently. But I will believe that that business gets done when I see that business get done. Moving to the Premier League, and Clement Lele is actually much more interesting alone than we first believed. A reminder that he is at Tottenham, who are said to be covering 80% of his wages and with no option or obligation to buy. So for the 27-year-old, it really is a prove-it kind of deal. And you know what? Based on the last month of appearances and the mixed reviews coming from Tottenham fans, Langley seems to have proven something already, but not everything. He's played at both a back three and a back four, getting praised as a ball-playing and creative left center back. Yeah, I know, weird when I hear that too, but he has been criticized in a back four for his questionable reactions. Now that's something we're familiar with. After taking some time to deal with an injury in August when he arrived, he started seven of the next ten games, including the last five, and probably most importantly, the game against Brentford this week coming out of the break. Listen, if he can show himself as worth around 25 mil or so while auditioning for Tottenham around the Premier League, then this loan worked out. And so far, compared to everyone else we've mentioned, it's kind of wild to say that Langley's loan may have worked out the best. And as we keep going through this list, yeah, that's not really a compliment. But to have Langley exceed expectations, well, that's, I think, a good thing for Laporta, even more so than Kool-Aid's like you and I. Let's stick with the left-footed center backs and touch on Samuel Ntiti for a moment. The 29-year-old will never be back at Barca and will never have much market value. But he did take that pay reduction so that he could facilitate moves away to try to rehab his career. This season at Leche in Serie A, it has been a bit of a mixed bag for the Frenchman. But I will say that things started to look a bit more encouraging as the World Cup break neared. 
It took him until the middle of October for that fitness, but he finally got his first start and has since played four other matches in 333 minutes. At this point, I bring him up because, yeah, he's on the list, but I want to add that as much as Kool-Aid's make him into this greedy villain for his Barca contract and World Cup choices, I just want to see the guy be able to play at a reasonable top-flight level for a few more years. Speaking of playing in the top flight, Alex Callado has looked like a top-flight player while playing for Elche, who don't necessarily look like a top-flight side. His team stinks, quite frankly, and they rely on him quite a bit to create chances and help build what results in rather dull attacks. He has a goal and an assist this season, and that sounds pretty awful, but taking into consideration that Elche has only scored 11 total goals this season, and Callado has missed 6 matches of the 14 while dealing with some fitness stuff, one goal and one assist tells you how important he's been. The 23-year-old doesn't have a future at Barca, I think that's pretty clear by now, but his ability to play as a right winger or attacking midfielder give him enough versatility to be a useful creative impact sub for a Liga team for years to come. Now I think the only thing left to wonder is just how much he can help Elche fight out of the Spanish cellar for the next few months, and where can he help another team, maybe more permanently next season. Lastly, Francisco Trincao is 23 this week, and his case is pretty interesting too. He's a regular starter for Sporting CP, who while being one of the big giants of Portugal historically, are not having their best season. Currently 4th in the table, but 12 points behind league leaders Benfica, who are running away with the competition. But you actually can't blame Trincao too much, who is now enjoying life back in Portugal. He's playing on the right wing, but the available space in Liga Portugal and the less than stellar defending with some of the teams farther down the table, well, Trincao is getting the space he needs to do his thing, without having to worry so much about having his initial positioning be a problem. You could pretty much call him a forward, as he's kind of given this free roll up top depending on how he can try to either run with the ball or run in behind where that space is available. In his 24 appearances this season, he's returned 6 goals and 3 assists in over 1,700 minutes, so not too shabby of a return either. And remember, it's a 10 million euro obligation to buy, with Barca having a buyback for 3 years. So I didn't really need to add Trincao to this list, because technically he's not a Barca player anymore, but it is technically a loan, so I didn't want to give you the surprising good news about the Portuguese winger. And even with Trincao, Seven doesn't really feel like that many loans for all the players that exited over the summer. But do remember that all of Pjanic, Puj, Brathwaite, Wage, Minaj, Neto, Mgeitha, and Dani Alves all left on freeze of different sorts with Piquet retiring and Coutinho and Aubameyang both signing for 20 million or less figures. Loans are never really that exciting either, but it should be another reminder that Cruyff and Alemani and Laporta and that whole crew, they have a lot more to think about than we always believe about just going and giving a call to the next big free agent or the next big signing that Barca should make. So let's transition right from the players that are out on loan directly into the players that are currently working with Xavi. Well, they were for at least two weeks there, with everyone else on the World Cup duty, but they're definitely the ones to watch for the future. Who knows how many of these players will be in the first team in two or three years' time, but this class that I'm about to introduce you to is so talented, I could say at least two of even the five names that I'm bringing up and highlighting here, and then there's a bunch of honorable mentions too, but at least two of the five, I think, do have a spot in the first team. I'm going to predict in four years from now, at least two of these five are there. Is it under Xavi? Who knows, but I think they're still at FC Barcelona. That's how good I think some of these players are. So here you go, the La Masia update. Since I've already tackled discussing all the lone players for FC Barcelona, now it's time for everybody's favorite midseason update, and that is those names you need to watch in La Masia. As I've been warning for the last few updates and the emergence of the likes of Gabi and Balde in the first team, 
Coupled with the fact that Barca Athletic, the B team that usually has 22 to 24 year olds, that's largely made up of U19 players at the moment. So it seems that the new threshold for first team promotion has opened up quite a bit from when I started doing this a few years ago. Don't believe what you hear, the pathway to the first team is pretty wide open at the moment. But as our old friend Frances Tomas used to always say, if you do get one or two from every generation, well, that's actually a pretty good return when it comes to academies at this top level. And that's why this latest group has really put me in a difficult spot. I usually try to just focus on the U19 players, like players around 18, 19, 20 years old. But including our headliner in Laminia Mall, some of these players are way younger than that and really breaking my normal standards. At 15 and 16, it's almost impossible to predict where these kids are gonna be in even three years time let alone when and where they're going to be making some first team appearances or getting even a moment at that point when they're 18 or 19. But due to Xavi's training sessions and the invites he's had, well, now I have to completely rip up my normal expectations for when we're going to see these kids around the first team bubble because they're already there. And that's not me saying that, that's Xavi. But I will add the normal disclaimer. When talking about 15 to 18 year olds, of which every selection on today's list is, anything can happen. They aren't the next Messi. They aren't the next fill in an amazing player that is a legend at Barcelona or elsewhere. They are still just a kid who may even choose to play somewhere else before becoming a professional. Look at Xavi Simmons. He made the World Cup with Netherlands after a position change and a move to PSV. That's after starting his career with these insane expectations. Then a big money move to PSG still as a teenager. Then a career move to the Netherlands that has worked out really well for him. And he's still just 19 years old, but he's in an entirely different spot than he was even four years ago. And again, that's a player where things are currently working out for him quite well. And hopefully all the names that I do mention today, if not at Barcelona, do work out and become future, maybe not even stars, but first team players somewhere, anywhere in the footballing universe. All right, so I know you do want me to start talking about Lamine Mall, but before we get to him, I do want to check in with Barca Athletic and some of the players that reasonably, again, due to their proximity to the first team, we should be seeing a bit quicker than all these huge big risers that I'm going to bring up in a little bit at the lower levels who have the brighter futures but still may not make an impact this season or maybe even next season with the first team. And the Barca Athletic teams aren't as exciting because... Due to the lack of depth in the first team, you likely already know these names due to preseason or even getting appearance so far this year. You likely already know the names, so I'll re-emphasize five of them and remind you that they're all still 18 or 19 too. Left-footed center back Chadi Riyad should get a Copa del Rey appearance against Intercity, and we could see Marc Casado at least in the squad too. Ilyasha Komash has been a regular starter for the second team, but the end product still hasn't been there this season. But again, he's still just 18 and he does so many of the other important winger things really well. The other winger, Estanas Pedrola, could get a Copa look too, and midfielder Alex Garrido, who unfortunately is injured at the moment, is still a really intriguing prospect at 18. Okay, so with that out of the way, let's worry about the lower levels. And when I say lower levels, I usually mean, let's talk about the 19-year-olds or the 18-year-olds playing for the U19s of the Juvenal A, or the 16-year-olds playing for Cadet A, as in the U16s. But this list, and why I'm bringing these kids up in particular, is because they're the youngsters that this club is pushing and challenging to play with age groups much older than themselves because they're already at that level. And that conversation doesn't end, but certainly begins with Lamine Mall. I've mentioned him before, and I've tried to temper expectations, but now that's become impossible because of where he's playing and the looks he's getting in Xavi's training sessions. He is Barca's shiniest academy gem at the moment, and due to being 15, there are some things that were kind of unreasonable to expect from him, such as even being a part of Barca Athletic this year. At 15 and still being on a youth contract, it'd be reasonable for him to just be breaking into the cadet A level, the U16s, and be ahead of schedule. Instead, he scored a brace in his league debut for Juvenal A, the U19s, 
where he has four goals and four assists. In September, he became the youngest Barca player to ever play in the UEFA Youth League, following that up by being the youngest Spain U19 player in October. But things have really gone off the rails this week, as Xavi has called him up to train with the first team several times in the last two weeks. And of course, some of this is people going a bit crazy, and some of it may be true. And we'll have to wait and see what's fact and what's fiction from that latest news. Since he'll be 16 in the summer, it would make sense with reports that say the club officially wants to renew him with that professional contract when he turns 16. And with that signature, he could be doing preseason with the first team. Even more surprisingly, and we'll see in the next week how real this is, he could be an unexpected selection in the squad list next Wednesday in the Copa del Rey against Inner City. If he does play in that game, by the way, he would become the youngest player to debut for Barca's first team since Vicente Martinez did it in 1941. Martinez was 16 at the time, plus 9 months and 7 days. Yamal is 15 years old and 5 months. That's absolutely absurd. But if you get a good look at him, it's not that absurd. What has my hopes so high for him at Barca, and maybe not other places even, is what his current best qualities are. We can't expect a 15-year-old to have this elite speed, athleticism, strength, or physical tools, and those may come. But what he already does at a high level includes all the things I look for in the next Barca first-teamer. His dribbling is a high level against kids at the U19 level, and his acceleration can get him where he wants to go. But if he does jump up sooner than we think, it's his first touch, his positional sense, body shape when receiving the ball, close control, and technique in small spaces that make me believe in his potential. He's very much an inside forward at the moment, relying quite a bit on his strong left foot as an inverted winger. And due to that level he's playing at, he regularly finds a way inside. The big question, of course, will be what happens when he finally meets the grown men that may be able to stop him from coming inside. But with his vision and unpredictability brought on by really good technique, he should be able to keep those defenders guessing too. At least at youth level, he also has a bit of an eye for goal, which is usually the case with players with the highest potential. But his entire skill set is what I'm most excited about, and think is quite applicable to higher levels. It seems like there are always midfielders and forwards in any academy with a ton of potential, because forwards put up the numbers that you like to see, and at that young level, those midfielders that have that differential in talent are the ones that stand out. For outside backs, it's a bit more difficult to figure it all out. Most outside backs don't get noticed until later because if you're really good at dribbling, then you're going to be put on the wing. If they have more quality on the ball and read the game well, well, then they'll be in the midfield. If they've got some strength for their age, and again, they read the game really well, but from a deeper position, then they're going to be center backs. And Hector Fort falls into that last category. As a center back prospect, his name didn't necessarily stand out from the rest. Center backs also take a bit longer to get there because of everything being asked of them, both physically and game reading wise. So this is a good reason why we often don't hear about these amazing 13-year-old centre-back prodigies. And for good reason, you can relax on centre-backs, everybody. But while fourth the centre-back was a good prospect and not necessarily a great one, his move to right-back this season has turned quickly into an elite prospect for the club. Back in September, he became the fifth youngest UEFA Youth League debutante for Barca, just behind Yamal, Ilas Moriba, Ansu, and Balde. Well, actually that stood for a few weeks, but more on that later. And he did just kind of feature. He started at right back in five of the six games and wasn't included in the final match day after Barca had already won their group and qualified for the knockouts. In watching him, and maybe it's just a Spanish connection that's working my bias, his feeling does feel as high as Cesar Azpilicueta, and that's also due to his playing style. He can make an occasional run forward, but his crossing isn't necessarily a strong suit at the moment. Instead, he plays really accurate balls from that right side and would likely really excel as a right center back in the three-back system. He's about where you'd want a 16-year-old to be in the air. You can see that his body positioning and timing are already there to make pretty reasonable improvements. Like almost every top Barca prospect, he makes good decisions with the ball and is very comfortable in possession, reading the game well and using superior technique than the opponent to draw them in and pass around them. While I did mention that his crossing can improve, this is also likely because it's not his first idea. 
His control with the ball is good enough that he likes to use combinations in the middle of the field to push the ball forward, using those good decisions to not turn the ball over in dangerous spots. Looking at the timeline, he may time this whole thing perfectly. Even if Sergio Roberto renews for one more season and Barca bring in another right back next summer, two years from now when Fort is 18, I would expect there to be a pathway to minutes for him in the first team. But don't be surprised if you see him sooner. Because Xavi did make my job pretty easy by calling up those U19 players with a lot of potential, and especially at the attacking midfield and inverted winger spot where there are so many options, 17-year-old Daniel Rodriguez might be at the top of both Xavi's list and he's at the top of my list in that position in the academy too. He's only been at Barca for two seasons now, having joined the U16s in the fall of 2020 from Real Sociedad. Those early days at La Real earned him the David Silva comparisons. But let's pump the brakes on that due to his position at first team level being such a question. David Silva was an attacking midfielder who would set up as a high interior with La Real today as just a 10 really, protected by two deeper midfielders. Rodriguez though, who has shown his stuff with the U19s this season, as well as the Spain U17s and 18s and in any way for Youth League, has been playing as an inverted right winger and occasionally as an interior. His left foot is his special weapon. And obviously when he's on the wing, it's hard to stop him from getting inside on that left foot. He's not necessarily the best finisher. He's put some long range goals in, but that very well could improve. Same with his defensive positioning. But he is still 17. Offensively, he takes on so much responsibility. Sometimes just gotta let the kid cook. The physical tools are there on the wing or in the middle. His close control, his creative choices, and his ability to beat defenders off the dribble with pace. Those are all skills that should translate as defenders get better. What I really wonder though is where Xavi would see him even breaking in at first team level. He's probably best in the long run as an attacking midfielder in a 4-2-3-1. Last time I checked, that position doesn't exist in the Barca first team. So does Xavi teach him how to hug that touchline a bit more, or does he figure out how to improve his defensive positioning to fit him in as an interior? At 17 and having only been with Barca for two seasons, there is still a lot of time and hope that we get that answer. For now though, wherever he can make an impact with the youth teams is actually where you want him improving his craft and refining things in the final third. Another player to arrive in the summer of 2020 was Victor Barbera, who plays with Barca Athletic and the U19s pretty much all over the academy. Previously of C San Gabriel and CF Dom, both local Catalan sides around the city of Barcelona, that should be an indication that Barbera, yeah, he was born in Barcelona as a local boy. I was a little hesitant to put the 18-year-old Barbera on the list because I'm not really sure what his future at the club is. His contract is up in the summer and we haven't heard much about movements on negotiations. While I wouldn't generally be concerned with not hearing anything about a U19 and Barca Athletic player at this point, he has scored enough goals this season that other teams are definitely looking at him, including potentially PSG. They have been looking at him last season though too, having scored 23 goals for the U19s on the way to leading them to the league title. This season it's more goals of the same, scoring 7 goals in 4 UEFA Youth League games, including that 16 minute hat trick against Bayern Munich. The rest of his time has been spent playing between the U19s and Barca Athletic. He only has 2 goals for the U19s, but that's because he's been a regular for Rafa Marquez, playing in 13 games, almost 700 minutes, and scoring 4 goals, which leads the team by the way. Forward is such a tricky position to predict obviously. When you have Robert Lewandowski and then so many other capable center forwards like Memphis and Ferran Torres fighting for a sniff of a minute, can you ever spare one for a teenager? Barca will have to answer that question in contract negotiations, or Kool-Aid will have to watch Barbera's career progress from afar. As for what kind of player he is, it's kind of cliche, but he's a pretty complete forward. He finishes well, moves off the ball well to put himself in scoring positions, doesn't take too many touches with the ball, keeps it moving, drops in to free up space from the wingers, and is decent in the air. He scores in a lot of different ways too, and he's a willing presser. He's quickly turned himself into one of the elite center forwards at the youth level around the world. And like many players like him, his future is all about first team opportunities, and a yet unknown ability to do this against top flight competition. 
It is a good sign that he's still scoring against grown men in the third division with Barca Athletic, but the first team, well, that's a different ballgame. Before we get to the honorable mentions, this last final pick, well, he's somebody that kind of forced my hand and put me in, as I said, a difficult spot because he continues to make history. In November, Pau Gabarsi at 15 became the third youngest UEFA Youth League debutante behind Jeskimal and Mariba, missing that second spot by just six days. As I said, having two 15-year-olds in this list is a bit weird, but as I've noted in the past, appearing for the club in UEFA Youth League, generally competition reserved for 18 and 19-year-olds, does put you on the radar to get looked at by the first team. But I will quickly add the caveat that I did earlier about center backs. Things change at youth level, and they change quickly. For a few years, the name was Diego Almeida, a terrific ball-playing center back with all the tools. But after two seasons where his defending hasn't really caught up to his high-level offensive game, the 18-year-old whose contract expires in June could lead the club at just 19. So again, especially for a position like center back, take heed and be patient. Gubarsi, who arrived from Girona in 2018 at the age of 11, is currently playing with the U18s, that's the Juvenil Bay. And he did get that one aforementioned start in the UEFA Youth League once the group was decided. What you do have to like about Gubarsi is that he looks the part of the modern center back. He's strong for his age, which sometimes serves to hold players back because they rely too much on their early physical tools. But his reading of the game and ball playing abilities are much more advanced than your average 15 year old right footed center back. Like I do usually try to do with these, he's the last of the five names because he's farthest from the first team at the moment. But as I always say, that is a name maybe not in the next year or two, but a name to commit to memory for use later. As you've heard me repeat a hundred times, this has been a really unorthodox update because unlike years ago when I started doing this, when the likes of Ricky Pooj and Alex Kayata were in their early 20s already and just pushing into the first team, the likes of, you have to give them credit, Kuman and Shami and the club's financial woes, they have really changed the way that the club has had to look at their youngsters, their teenagers, and evaluate whether or not they're ready for the first team. And my honorable mentions still fit in that same mold. I've already highlighted Arnold Casas and Ford on how Alakon in previous videos now both in the U19s and likely on the verge of some Barca Athletic minutes in the spring, but we'll have to see. The update on Alicon is that after missing more than a year through injury, the now 18-year-old has returned well, playing twice in the youth league, but more importantly, scoring eight goals with two assists for the U19s, taking over for Victor Barbera at that level. And Xavi has also recently called him up to first-team training. The Ferran Torres-esque forward is not the fastest winger, but he can play across the whole front line and uses really good runs off the ball and movement into the box to be a threat. Finishing up the U19, 17-year-old center back Martin Georgiev arrived from his native Bulgaria this summer and is doing well both in the youth league and with Juvenil A. He did make some appearances last season for Slavia Sofia's first team, so it may be nice for him to play against teenagers again. I'm not comparing him to Rajo, but I will say that between Rajo and Kunde, he's an Rajo type of center back. His physical tools really stand out at youth level, and as I mentioned before, that can sometimes be a blessing and a curse for young players. His contract is up in the summer of 2024, so I wonder if a call to Barca Athletic won't be in the cards next year. We'll have to see what former Barca center back, almost legend, Rafa Marquez thinks about him. Another name you heard me mention is 16-year-old Pau Prim, probably the most natural 4-3-3 pivot in the entire academy. He got his debut in the youth league in that final match day and has been doing his thing for the U18s this season. He's comfortable with both feet, he's tall, and reads the game well. With that position requiring so much positional maturity and high-level decision-making, I'd still wait about two more years of things going well for him to really consider his name. Because ahead of Prem as the defensive midfielder is Gerard Hernandez, who is a 17-year-old regular defensive midfielder for the U19s. Hernandez is one like Marcasado. He's been in the academy since his pre-teen years and can't be unseated from an important spot in his teams, even though the club does bring in other players to compete with him. And with so many pivot options, it is curious to wonder if any of those will ever make the jump. Back to Juvenile Bay, alongside Prem in the midfield is Adrian Gill, who I mentioned previously over the summer, but I'll mention again. 
He was one of the six 16-year-olds named to the UEFA Youth League squad, but he didn't feature. I'm not concerned about that, though, due to the competition in the midfield. But what intrigues me is what kind of player he's going to develop as. His U18 center midfield mates in Wesley Dwal, Brian Farinas, and Cristo Munoz are all a bit more attacking than he is. But obviously at that level, Barca are regularly on the front foot, and you get to see plenty of what Gil can do moving forward. And I'm not just putting him on the list because he's an American playing for the U.S. youth teams. Barca doesn't really produce that many natural box-to-box midfielders, and Gil might have a future because of a profile you don't see very often. He just renewed with the club, so say that name as well. And don't get sucked at that box-to-box idea. Maybe he's an attacking midfielder. Maybe he sits deeper. He has a lot of potential either way. Our last piece of business today, I do want to put the name Nico Takahashi on the radar. But not for the reasons you'd expect. At 17 and playing with the U18s, Takahashi isn't like anybody else that I've mentioned. He's always generally played with his age bracket and is progressing at a reasonable pace. He arrived in 2019 from Cornea, and the left back did get named to the youth league roster, even if he didn't feature. But why I bring up Takahashi is that due to him being born in Cornea to a father from Argentina and a mother from Japan, he's going to be talked about and hyped up more and more as those countries, and especially those countries' supporters on social media, try to recruit him to play for one of those three teams. He's already received call-ups to the Spain U16s and the Japan U19s and U20s, and Argentina is still pushing for him too. Call me crazy, but all that international attention may actually take some of the stress off his day-to-day work at Barca. I did hope you enjoy that, and that all could really change. I might have to add things to that video, basically, if the likes of Yamal or even Chadi Riyad are called up to that Copa del Rey matchup against Intercity in less than a week's time. So by the time this hits your ears, things might have already changed, but who knows. Either way, what will have changed is that Barcelona is going to be playing in the next in the next 48 hours against Espanyol in that Catalan Derby. They're going to be doing it without Robert Lewandowski. So as a little just an add-on to this podcast that wasn't available on any of the YouTube videos, these are for the special people that are listening to the whole podcast and getting through it and going through the slog of the audio stuff. I do want to give a little bit of a starting 11 that I think the Xavi should probably throw out there against Espanyol. So starting with Barcelona, what I think Xavi's going to do, it's not even what I would do, but I think what Xavi's going to do with the Rahu still being kind of questionable with his stuff, obviously it's going to be Ter Stegen in that, didn't play at the World Cup, totally fresh, ready to go, get back to business, Ter Stegen hoping he has a second half like he did the first. Well, Koundé would be the first name that I put on the team sheet. I think he's not playing center back against Espanyol. If he does start, it'll probably be at right back where he played for France at the World Cup. But I don't know. I think because he was the latest player to come back for the international break, he's actually only been back for just about, what, six, five, six days. I do think Kune gets a little bit of a rest. And I think Sergio Roberto making news this week about potentially renewing, I mean, likely renewing actually for next season and maybe even beyond at a much, much lower number even. So we're talking... 1.5, whatever almost his minimum could be at the 30-year-old, that being Roberto, before finally moving on, whoever knows when. I think Roberto gets to start at right back. Then I think in the middle, it's going to be Christensen, and then Marcos Alonso is going to be as the left center back. While Eric Garcia, he didn't play at the World Cup. Who knows what's going to happen with him moving forward where he fits in this team with PK retiring. I do think Alonso is going to get the start there. And then Balde, of course, will start at left back. I do say, of course, because he was at the World Cup, got some minutes there. But I think that Xavi's going to immediately hit the ground running with Balde again and have Alba likely sub on later in this game. So again, the back four that I think Xavi's going to go with is likely going to be Roberto, Christensen, Alonso, and Balde. With the midfield, you know this is a lot of mixed messages too. We're hearing a lot of different things about Busquets and his future. Now, if you're following Alex, the last 48 hours or so, Busquets has had a change of heart. And now because Xavi wants him to, he's going to return to the club. And you hear all this kind of news. So I have no idea what's going to happen moving forward. I know that Kessier likely won't be starting in this game against Espanyol. But I think I'm going to go on a limb here and say that Frankie de Young, after his World Cup, 
is going to get a little bit of a break. So it's going to be Busquets, Pedri, and Gabi again. I know that Spain and Netherlands were out at the same time, but Frankie de Jong did harbor a bit more of a load than Busquets did for his team in Spain. And again, Pedri and Gabi are going to start to kind of rough things up in this Espanol derby, which will be quite fun. And as far as the forward line, because Dembele also, like Koundé, returned pretty late, I think it's going to be a front three of Ansu on the left, because Xavi's also come out and said, hey, second half of the season, it's Ansu time. He's been pretty defiant with that, that being Xavi in recent press conferences. So I think Ansu gets a start on the left, Ferran Torres up to the middle, and then Rafinha, coming back from Brazil, starts on the right. I think Mevis not going to start for this team, whether or not he leaves in January or not. And then Dembele is going to get a little bit of rest. Lewandowski's out. So I, that would be the starting lineup that I think the Xavi is going to go with. And I'd probably go with a pretty similar thing too. I know people would want to immediately jump into a Pedri, Gabi, Frankie, De Young midfield. But I, I think that because of the World Cup and De Young coming back and playing all the minutes that he did, I think Xavi's going to hold off on that for maybe a few more weeks. But I will say due to the congested schedule that is coming up, I could very well see that trio, that being Pedri, Gabi and Frankie de Young playing quite a bit in this month together. Who knows if they'll start, but I think there's going to be quite a few minutes to go around for everybody. Kessier as well. For Espanyol, I'm not going to give you an 11, but they do have some players to watch out for. Leading their team up top, the center forward, Asuelo, he's got seven goals. Brothwaite has added three. That's a player that, of any center back combination, including Eric Garcia that I mentioned, should be able to handle. Edu Esposito can score goals, can assist. Same thing with Sergi Dardaire. Both guys have two goals, two assists on the season, and certainly players to watch. Javi Pawado is a winger. You also got to keep your eye on. And then moving back, I'm not afraid of that back line. They haven't really earned too much of my respect. Their best player, arguably, on the back line is their left back in Brian Olivan. But other than him, yeah, there's not really anybody that's really moving the needle too much for me. And with Espanyol in 16th place, they're out of the relegation zone at the moment, but that does tell you about where they are this season. Diego Martinez is trying to do all he can with what he has, but very much like all these Liga teams, there just isn't enough depth in these squads. They've been healthy. They've been preparing for Barca, and it is the Catalan Derby, so I think Espanyol is going to be up to this match. But again, there's no reason why Barcelona, some of the match fitness that some of their players should still have in the World Cup, coupled in with players that just like Espanyol have been training, have been wrestling, have been preparing. I think Barcelona should start their second half of their campaign on the right foot against Espanyol. So this is the last podcast of 2022. I said there's no second one coming this week, but there is a match review coming early in the morning after that game. Well, at least early in the morning for me on New Year's Eve. And that will be the last video of 2022 obviously, because it's coming out sometime in the afternoon on New Year's Eve here in the U.S., and that might actually be the first video for you, depending where you are in the world. So wherever you are in the world and wherever you're going to be in the next year, I hope you have a happy one, again, with family, friends, and even if you're by yourself, I appreciate you being a part of the Barcelona community, and more importantly, the Barcelona podcast community, and I wish you all the best in the new year. So as I always say, Forza Barcelona.